This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of Kettle Trout. And you'll see how you can guilt and manipulate your children into leaving home and beginning their new career as a dragon slayer and a Viking raider. The creature this week is a snake woman you definitely should not babysit for. This is Myths and Legends, episode 347, Fool Me Once. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are tales that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. We're back in the Viking legends with the standalone saga of Kettle Trout, the Viking that was named after a fish. Kind of. He was really just being bullied by his manipulative dad, but we'll get to that. Set in the early years of the Viking Age, so roughly around 800 AD, it's a time when the raiders of the north were striking out for riches and land. Well, most of them were. Not Kettle, though. He was content to sit at home all day and watch nature's TV. Ha <laughs> Kettle, I regard you as the fool of Hrafnista. I laugh at you a great deal and mock you harshly, the bulky man in the other boat. Bjorn laughed and mocked harshly. Kettle did kind of deserve it. He wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't really anything. He didn't do anything. He was big and handsome, the story assures us. But he spent all day lying on his side next to the fire, one arm propping up his head, the other draped over his knees, poking at the fire. They say when you're camping that fire is like nature's TV, but this is pushing it a bit. His mother recognized it for a face that he would soon grow out of. His father, seeing his legacy languish and burn out like so many embers, pushed. Kettle couldn't remain here doing nothing. He had to make something of himself. His dad's name was Halbjorn, nicknamed Half-Troll. I don't know anyone nicknamed Half-Troll, but you probably don't get the nickname Half-Troll unless you have a certain level of intensity going on at all times. Half-Troll isn't the dad rocking a cardigan sweater, offering some tea to talk out their feelings. Half-Troll has a love-measured-and-successful-Viking-raids vibe to it, and having a kid who languishes by the fire all day? Not happening. So, Kettle, annoyed that he had to put on pants for the first time in his life, said, Oh, okay they wanted him to do something, then he would do something. When he returned with a chair on his back, his father knew that the tough love had worked. Kettle sneered. The chair was for mom. She believed in him, that he could sit around doing nothing, unlike dad. Dad stood by, watching the mom sit in the chair, content in knowing that parenting wasn't about being friends with your kid, but preparing them, someday, for a life without you through, yes, kind of a lot of manipulation, but we'll get to that. All right, love granted for now. Still, Halbjorn Half-Troll was a little jealous of the chair. It was a pretty sweet chair, one imagines. And no, I don't know why a chair. A lot of people know a lot more about Scandinavian culture and Viking history than I do, so maybe they can lend me some insight, but it just says that Kettle came back with a chair on his back. Not that he made the chair or stole it, just that he returned with it, and that he, quote, had done well. The power of chairs, I suppose. Chair retrieval awakened something in Kettle, who began to test the limits of his big, handsome self. 
he helped his father out around the farm more and more. And his father, always having wanted a son who would go into foreign lands and kill stuff, told him that he could hold on to the family's heavy axe. Oh, and did he know the islands far away from their lands? Kettle was to, under no circumstances, go to those islands. They were too full of dangers. Dangers just a bit above Kettle's character level. Like, probably enough to be a challenge, but still be fun. Some cool loot there, too. Whew. Too bad Kettle could never go there and that it was forbidden. Eyes traced the horizon to the islands off in the distance. And Kettle's dad smiled as Kettle said he was gonna go fishing. Half-troll grinned at his son going off on his first raid, and made a note that psychological pressure and manipulation was way more effective than forcing your kid to do stuff. And it was Kettle's first raid, and only took fishing and some murder to get him there. Well, manslaughter, probably. I'm not a lawyer. When the bubble stopped coming up, after Kettle had smacked Bjorn over the head with his oar for making fun of him, remember the scorn and mocking from the top of the show, Kettle realized maybe a touch too late, that people, people needed to be conscious to swim. Kettle dove, but couldn't see Bjorn in the darkness, in the gloom. Fearing the eyes of Jormagander, the world serpent, staring back at him, Kettle emerged, struggled onto his boat, scuttled Bjorn's, and decided that he should probably keep going toward the island in the distance. As Kettle's boat scraped the rocks on the shore, he thought, hmm, didn't seem so bad. As far as islands go, it was basically deserted. Then he heard the roar that shook not just him, but the ground itself. From the massive cave in the center, a red dragon clawed its way to the surface and took flight. Its mouth and eyes burned with fire as it looked on Kettle and attacked. So, fishing, huh? Half-Troll said when he saw his son, covered in blood. Yep, yep, just, just fishing. Caught a trout, Kettle said. You could see his dad was buying it. Nailed it. So, not a dragon, though? Like the ones that lived on the islands in the north? Half-Troll asked. Kettle laughed, what? A dragon? No, that's just, what? Who knew anything about dragons? Not him. That's for sure. He just got a trout. Not even a very big one, so his dad was the one to mention dragons, not him. Okay, I believe you, but you can't just be catching little fish your whole life, or people will start to call you kettle trout. People like me, starting right now. Dad half-troll said to his son, the newly named kettle trout. Kettle shook his head. That, that wasn't gonna stick. Trout, kettle trout. Dad barked a few days later. It had stuck by then. He made sure of it. Half-Troll, the dad and possessor of a way cooler nickname, told him to come along. They were going seafaring. Dad, still testing the limits of verbal cruelty and his own laziness, looked at the boat on the shore. He smacked Kettle on the back and pointed at the boat. Everyone in his family, of his bloodline, could push the boat into the water with no rollers. Kettle gave it a quick shove, but it wasn't moving. Wow, you you don't really behave like you're my son. Weird, you're like shaming the family right now, aren't you? Think about all your ancestors looking on you with disappointment. That's basically what's happening right now. But like it's worse because you still show your face and oh, it's moving. 
Half-Troll said. As the ship started moving, Kettle straining. I would say good job, but you really only did the bare minimum to earn a facsimile of my love, so adequate. Adequate job done, eventually. And yeah, Half-Troll's worst parenting instincts were confirmed for all the wrong reasons. With enough shame and emotional abuse, he managed to get Kettle Trout to put the boat in the water. Then, it was fishing time with Dad, but whoops, Dad had a work call. His son could manage the fishing, at least until he got back, right? Kettle Trout said, yeah. It was just weird that his dad waited until the boat was in the water to remember that he had a visitor coming by to talk about work. Bye, son. Be right back, Half-Troll said, and disappeared into the forest. Kind of. Is he? Kettle squinted at the tree line. Yeah, he was. His dad was hiding just inside the trees. Dad, I see you. Kettle Trout yelled out. No, you don't, Half-Troll called back. Kettle was about to say that this was just getting ridiculous, but then he heard some splashing behind him. Well, 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 what do we have here, Kettle heard. He turned to see two men rowing up. If it isn't the Trout Boy, the man said. Kettle began to sense the danger of the situation. The men were broad and scraggly, The skin that was visible was nicked with scars from battle. One of them was missing an eye. They were outlaws. What do you think you're doing here? The man on the left spat. Yeah, trouts are mid-level predators at best who prey upon smaller aquatic animals, including insects, crustaceans, bait, fish, and tadpoles, the man on the right said. The one on the left grimaced, okay. uh, No one fishes these shores but us, the outlaw sneered. The one on the left laughed, yeah, and Kettle Trout would find them far more formidable than the otters, raccoons, various birds of prey, gulls, cormorants, and kingfishers, you know, a trout's usual predators. The outlaw on the right turned to the one on the left, okay, you know that he's not an actual trout, right? The left outlaw said yes, he was prefacing this murder with repartee that was not only witty, but well-researched. He would not apologize for his professionalism. Well, it's just, it's distracting from the fact that we're going to kill this kid if it's a nonstop parade of trout trivia, the right outlaw said, pointing to Kettle. Then both men looked. Hey, where'd he go? Noiselessly, Kettle emerged on the other side of the boat, raised his axe, and cut the tendon on the ankle of the right bandit. When the left scrambled at the scream, Kettle climbed aboard and caught him in the neck with the axe ending the stream of trout facts that, yes, were a bit much. He went to work on the second bandit. Slow clap, my son, Papa Half-Troll said. Slow clap. Kettle Trout was panting and once again covered in blood. He did not like any of that. I'm proud of you. You killed Hang and Hraffen. Notorious outlaws who stalk these very waters. You are worthy of the name Trout, because you know how to go after the big fish. Kettle Trout, being, yes, 11 years old now, sat back. Before that, the smallest of compliments from his dad, he was going to explode, saying that it was unconscionable to put him, once again, an 11-year-old, in that position. He could have died. But his dad saying he deserved his name, that he was becoming more like his kinsman, it, well, it didn't make things better. 
but for an 11-year-old who was unused to any affection or approval from his father, it was sadly pretty great. You want to go out alone? Half-troll ran his fingers through his hair. Are you sure you're strong enough? Enough like me and the other men of my line and not a scared little child? Kettle Trout stood up straight, oblivious to the obvious manipulation. No, he wasn't a child. He killed those two bandits and a dragon. Kettle said, besides, there was a famine now. They would die if someone didn't go fishing. So he was going to go do it. Well, if you must... Half-Troll produced a list of places where he was definitely going to go look for fish, but if his son was strong enough, he would just stay here. Kettle Trout snatched the list and said he would be right back. Half-Troll settled in and cracked another ale. We'll catch up with Kettle on his trip that he definitely wasn't tricked into going on, but that will be right after this. Kettle, a few weeks later, was looking down at a pit full of, hmm, carcasses. Yeah, that's, that's gross. Whales, polar bears, seals, walruses. It was, yeah, brutal and gross. Also, why they were going to spoil there in the warm ground. Then he saw at the bottom of the pit a man. A salted man. This, okay, yeah, this was a cursed place. Who are you? Kettle heard and looked up. And up and way up. A giant of Jotunheim loomed over him on the beach at the location on his dad's list of super secret great fishing locations for brave boys what have you done to my pit the giant growled he was surter but not that surter i guess like two people can be named tim two giants can be named surter i'm sorry was this organized kettle said the giant could just pile everything back in and he would be leaving it seemed he made a mistake in coming here his dad Halbjorn Half-Troll said that this was a good fishing spot, but he was obviously incorrect or his list was out of date or something. Halbjorn Half-Troll, the giant grumbled. He owes me money, and I bet you're his son. I've heard about you. Kettle smiled. Aw, his dad was talking about him with his friends or enemies or guys to whom he owed money? Yeah, you're Kettle Trout, the kitchen fool, the giant grinned. Kettle said, what? Yeah, the coal biter. The one who grew up in his house and had no desire or skills to ever leave it. The giant laughed. <laughs> yeah, his dad talked all about him. While the giant was laughing, Kettle hewed through his neck with an axe. What the, Kettle said a few months later, when he hit fishing spot number two. There were fish at this location, and Kettle managed to catch a good deal of them. Now that catch was being flung all over the beach, by the giant. Kettle, more annoyed than hurt, dialed up the confrontation to 11 when, 
Kratos style, he flung his axe at the giant, catching the giant in the back. Unlike Kratos, though, Kettletrout couldn't recall his axe, and the giant, well, the giant ran off crying. Uh, knock knock, Kettle said, arriving at the giant's boathouse. It wasn't hard to find, he just followed the trail of blood. Who's there? The giant said with a whimper. Um, physician? Kettle said. It looked like he got in a pretty nasty scrape back there. The giant opened the door, and maybe because Kettle was too far off for him to have seen too well, he took Kettle's word that Kettle was a physician. Kettle entered the house, and we're just going to pretend like we're in a movie and keep our view on the exterior, where we hear the giant ask if Kettle can really help him, and Kettle say that he can make all the pain go away forever. Wow, only one way to read that sentence. Do your work, Doc, the giant said, before there were several wet, heavy thwacks. Only Kettle Trout emerged from the boathouse. Kettle returned home without visiting the third fishing spot. He understood what was happening now. You, you can't live on your ship. You're, it's going to be winter soon, and we need you for the harvest. Hallbjorn half-troll demanded of his son. And pe also, people don't do that. They winter with a king or on a farm where they won't freeze to death. Kettle might have wanted to say that he did more than his part by killing the guys his dad sent him to antagonize by killing the outlaws and the dragon, by living his whole life seeking the approval of a man who just used him. Instead, Kettle just left, knowing that his dad would never be capable of understanding. The ship was a bad idea, though. He was willing to admit that somewhere between the troll woman alarm clock and when the whale did the free willy thing, but didn't quite clear the boat, driving him down into a reef. And, yeah, at one stop, Kettle Trout awoke to a troll woman just shaking his boat. The story doesn't say why, but he'd managed to fight her off enough to get back out into the water, long enough for a whale to come down hard on him out of nowhere. Boat damaged, he drifted for days until he crawled, nearly freezing to death, to Bruni's farm. He awoke under a blanket to the giant that was lumbering toward him, in a moment, he was up, sword out, and on the neck of the giant, and he, the giant, simply held his hands up high. Uh, that was a weird way to say thank you for saving my life. Kettle relaxed. Oh, wait, the giant wasn't going to try to kill him? His dad didn't owe the giant money? Bruni, the giant, shook his head. No. Kettle relaxed and apologized. He just... Every time he had run into a giant, they tried to kill him. He had a really unhealthy thing with his dad, he was starting to realize. Bruni said he understood. His ancestors came from the armpit of their primordial dad, and his great-great-great-grandfather survived the blood ocean that accompanied the first giant's murder. He understood complicated, angry feelings about your family. So you're just, like, saving my life then? Kettle said, standing. Wow. Let no one say that the Yatnar are all violent, thoughtless brutes. Bruni said, okay, careful, that's about as backhanded as a compliment as they come. Kettle might have thought about checking his own prejudice if he wasn't so distracted by her. Raffenhild, Bruni's daughter. The story tells us that she was big and brave, with a face as wide as an L, basically an arm length. Kettle staggered there, and Bruni caught him. Saying that Kettle should go back to bed, but if he did, did he want to lie alone or next to his daughter. Raffenhild, the daughter, smiled 
and Kettle chose the latter. Hide, hide! Bruni lumbered across the house and tossed a blanket over Kettle. What? What's going on? The mound of soft animal skins asked, struggling to see the light. Bruni gave Kettle a sharp bop on the head. What did hide mean to him? Did it mean ask a bunch of loud questions? The king's men were on their way. Oh, okay, and I can't be here? No, he couldn't be there, Bruni said. What about this was he not getting? Bruni kicked the blankets, just as the door opened. It was the goons that worked for the king in the region, and they had come for the butter chest. Now, the whole time Kettle had been staying with Bruni and her daughter, he and Raffenheld had been enjoying each other's company. And Kettle was happy to be in a home that seemed to value and respect him. He kept his fighting skills sharp by hacking at trees and shooting at the targets Bruni set up, but he was warned. Never, never go into the forest. He didn't question it, but then a group of Sami came looking for the butter chest. Now, when it comes to butter chest, your guess is as good as mine. I was reading it and I was like, that can't possibly be a chest of butter, but it probably was. Yes, the word for butter chest apparently means, well, a container of butter. This sent me down a long rabbit hole of reading about butter in the medieval Scandinavian world. So this is where we actually leave Kettle Trout's story. And for the next about 20, 25 minutes, we're going to be discussing the economic and cultural impact of butter in medieval Europe. I'm completely kidding. But really, butter was important. It wasn't just for cooking, but as a fairly stable source of fat and energy, significant in the north where the growing season could be short and unpredictable, Butter was not just a way to stay alive, but a source of wealth. People used it to pay rent, taxes, and eventually tithes, so that meant that this was probably a shakedown for Bruni and his daughter. Probably more like a protection racket, because while Bruni and Raffenhild were cordial to their guests, and it looked like it was done willingly, they were afraid of the people in that region, and said people were the reason Kettle needed to stay out of the forest. Kettle heard the whole thing from under the blanket, and... While he didn't begrudge them doing what was necessary in order to survive, he also wouldn't stand by and let it happen to the people or displaced giants he cared about. He was going to settle things with a local king. And before he stepped over the threshold of the door, he received a warning. Beware Gusir, the king of the Sami. He was the reason Kettle had come to these lands in the first place. Gusir was responsible for the troll and the whale and the winds. He had a sinister purpose for wanting Kettle there. He was sure of it. Gusir, the apparent big bad, wasted no time finding Kettle in the forest. Gusir rode up on a sled, demanding to know who this traveler was. There was a lot of poetry back and forth. Kettle said that he would rather bend Bruni's bow than bend a knee to Gusir, and they got in a fight. And Kettle missed. He missed the first shot. Then, Gusir loaded 12 arrows onto his bow and shot them all at once. There was no way Kettle could avoid them. But they avoided him. They all would have stuck in his flesh, but they veered off course at the last moment and stuck into the surrounding trees and snow. Gusir couldn't begin to imagine what went wrong, but then he shook Bruni. Bruni gave him these arrows. Who knew that you couldn't trust people you were extorting to look out for your best interests? Not him, that's for sure. He learned a valuable lesson about extortion and kindness for all of about 15 or 20 seconds. Kettle shot his own arrows. 
pinning Goussier to the ground before rushing up and decapitating the man. We'll see Kettle earn Odin's ire, but that will, once again, be right after this. It had been harder than he thought to leave Hrafenhild. But after the thing with Gusir, it was more difficult for Kettle to put his duty to his family and his ancestors out of his mind. There was more he needed to do than stay here with her. He told her he loved her and he would be back. And then he was dead. He died. That was according to Halbjorn Half-Troll, his dad. They hadn't heard from him in two winters. No word of his exploits, definitely no visits. It was time to lay him to rest. They gathered the family, friends, and even some enemies and broke out the funeral ale. If you're wondering, the funeral ale is exactly the same as the celebration ale. Something they all learned when Kettle returned in the middle of his own funeral. And sometimes it's hard to break free from your past. Sometimes you get back in old situations and old patterns and behaviors repeat. The man who left the house of the giants and the woman he loved to seek adventure and to live the life he thought he needed to live stayed in his parents' house. He stayed at home with his father and his mother and despite killing a dragon, outlaws, and giants, fell back under his father's influence. That is, until she arrived. Kettle hadn't been able to stop thinking of her. Raffenhild, his giant lover, that he had to hug in segments. She found him, and arrived at Hrafnista. He invited her in the house, and, crouching, she introduced him to Grimm, his son. Kettle got down on a knee and held out his hands. Grim, his boy. Grim turned to his father, revealing his hairy cheek. Translations differ, but most call him Grim Hairy Cheek or Grim Shaggy Cheek. And if that name sounds familiar, that's because it very much is. Grim Hairy Cheek is the father of Arrow Odd, star of episodes 31A and B, and a fan favorite. He has a saga of his own, and I'll check it out to see if it's worth it, but here we get a little more explanation regarding his famous moniker. He has one hairy cheek that he's had since birth, and it's apparently impervious to iron, which I think we should take to mean all weapons. And yeah, on one hand, cool nickname, Grim Hairy Cheeks. On the other hand, kind of disappointing superpower. A patchy beard that grants you invulnerability, but only on that one spot on your cheek. Kettle, though, couldn't have been more proud. He loved Raffenhild with all of his heart, and now they had a child together. Who invited these trolls in? The reunited family heard behind them as, cane in hand, Halbjorn clicked toward the door. Kettle rose, saying that they weren't trolls. They were giants from Jotunheim. He met them in the north. Synonymous in some places in the North Sagas, son. Halbjorn Half-Troll, the apparent self-loathing father, rejoined. Kettle said, regardless, this boy here was his son. It was Halbjorn's grandson, Grim Harrycheek. Halbjorn grimaced, look, son, they all did things they 
weren't proud of when they were out raiding. You don't, you don't bring those things back home. Raffenhild looked to the man who had fought the local chief, who had restored peace in their lands and safeguarded their family, and she saw his shoulders slump. She took Grimm's hand and left the house. Halbjorn did a, but Kettle followed her. Outside, Kettle begged the woman he loved to understand. This was his father. She said, yeah? And Grimm was his son, and she... Well, she, I guess, understood what Kettle thought of her. Kettle said it wasn't like that. It just, there was a lot of stuff going on here, and the old man was on his way out anyway. Why get him worked up fighting? Raffenhild left without another word. Kettle stood alone. The cold winds biting and the enslaved people on the farm pretending they didn't see any of that, but they would totally be talking about it all later. You sure Kettle wants to marry Sigrid? You know what people are saying about him. Bard, a farmer in the north, said to Halbjorn Half-Troll. He will, Halbjorn said of his son but he doesn't come here in person. He's killed dragons and giants, and yet, and yet, we will plan it. He will marry Sigrid. Halbjorn rose. Halbjorn would see to it himself. I'm not marrying Sigrid, Halbjorn heard when he returned to the south. Halbjorn said, son, it had been a year, a year since Kettle chased the woman he loved and his own son, out of the house. But you... Uh, Kettle started and Halbjorn held up a hand to stop him. He, Halbjorn, had been honest about his feelings. That's all any person could do. Kettle was the one who didn't fight for the people he said he loved. Now they were gone. Forever. Because of Kettle. Because of his actions. Kettle started to say that his father had been so terrible. He just... Halbjorn stopped him again. You... Must have wanted them gone, right? Deep down? What type of life is it for a half-giant child growing up with us or with them? In your relationship, could it ever have really worked? I think deep down, you knew this. You knew it was best for everyone. So you made the hard choice, and you let them go, Halbjorn said, clasping his son on the shoulder. Now, though, you have to get over your feelings. You have a duty. You have a duty to yourself to me, and most importantly, to your ancestors. Sigrid is a wonderful woman. Tears fell in droplets on the ground, and Kettle rose, wrenching free from his father's grasp. He made for the door, and Halbjorn, well, Halbjorn smiled, almost there. Three years later, Kettle Trout was alone on the fields. He hadn't realized just how much work this place was until after his father died. How much time he would have to spend away managing servants and enslaved people. It, he dropped his shovel. Off in the distance, just out of the forest, her, Raffenhild. She stood on the edges of the farm, wind whipping her hair. Kettle broke into a run, sprinting to her. It had been four years, and he thought about her every day. He told her as much. When she took him into her giant arms and the pair embraced, 
He loved her. He loved her and he never wanted her to leave. He was so sorry about his father, but he was so sorry about his actions. Tears welled in her eyes too. Raffenhold said it hurt when he didn't stand up for her and their family. But in the years that followed, she had been unable to move on either. She only wanted to be with him. He said yes, anything. They would go. They would run away together. Raffenheld asked why they wouldn't stay there, in Iceland, on his farm. If his father was dead, then... There was a cry from the farmhouse. A giggle. Raffenheld looked, but Kettle didn't need to. Who is that? Raffenheld asked, though she already knew the answer. She... She's my daughter. She'll be too soon, Kettle said. Unable to look Raffenheld in the eyes. I, I had to. I had to get married. I didn't think I would ever see you again, and it was my father's dying wish, though he still managed to live for another two years after, Kettle confessed. Kettle looked at Raffenheld, pleading. He didn't love Sigrid like he loved her. He would never love anyone like he loved her. They could leave now, go, be together forever. Raffenhild wouldn't hear him, though. She dropped him on the soft ground, turned, and didn't look back. As long as they both lived, Kettle and Raffenhild would never see each other again. Kettle's daughter, also named Raffenhild in a move that's equal parts heartbreaking and deeply odd, found her father there, staring off into the distance where Raffenhild had been. She gave him a hug. Kettle was having a bad day. Fifteen years later, Ollie, the Updale warrior, was burying a sword in Kettle Trout's forehead. Not very far into his forehead, it hurt though, a lot. It entered his skull a bit and blood stung his eyes. Kettle growled and kicked Ollie off of him. My daughter will marry who she wishes, Kettle said. She said no, he would not let a man take her by force. Ollie laughed. He would have to put Raffenhild in line after he killed Kettle in the stool. She had been ill-prepared for being his wife, being raised by such a permissive father. Kettle picked up his shield. Ollie had struck him before the fight began. Kettle took up his own sword and swung it. Ollie raised his shield to protect his face, but at the last moment, when Ollie wasn't looking, Kettle diverted his sword and swept the legs. Ollie screamed, as he fell off his own ankles. As he shrieked, gripping his legs and looking on the devastation in horror, Kettle sheathed his own sword. The honorable thing would be to put him out of his misery, but that assumed that Ali was worthy of such an honor. Grim Harry Cheek showed his dad a picture of his son, Arrow odd. It was just a face etched in stone. They didn't have cameras or anything. But Kettle was proud of his boy, going on saga adventures of his own, getting married, having kids. A pause hung in the room, and, and Grim's mother, she still doesn't want to see you, Dad. Grim told Kettle Trout. Kettle understood and respected her decision. Kind of. During a famine in the previous year, he did end up in Jotunheim looking for fish at what happened to be his ex's old address. 
A new troll woman was living there, and she did not appreciate Kettle looking in the windows. He had come back home to yet another challenge for his daughter's hand. This time from Framar. Fra- Framar? Didn't matter how you pronounce his name or that it looked like someone misspelled farmer. He would not be long for this world. I don't know, Dad. I've actually heard of this guy, Grim Harry Cheek said. Grim had super cheek powers, but Framar, iron wouldn't bite his entire body. Kettle sighed. Well, until Hill was married to a man she found agreeable, the challenges and the duels would keep on coming. Kettle said goodbye to his son, Grim. He had to get on the road. The duel for his daughter's life was scheduled for Yule Eve, so the day before the winter solstice. You know it's a bad trip when you have to kill someone on the way to kill someone. Kettle learned that the only way through the vast forest that separated his lands from Framar's was with the help of Saudi. The only catch? Saudi, a tricky boy, liked to murder travelers. After three nights of no sleep, Kettle finally settled in and Saudi brought the axe down on his cloak while he slept. Luckily, Kettle wasn't in his cloak, woke up and told Saudi that they would, quote, test their skills at wrestling. He wrestled Saudi's head right off, which is not a euphemism. He pulled the guy's head off. Are you the guy I'm supposed to fight here? Kettle heard when he arrived at the barrow, the winter winds stinging even his skin. You're younger than I thought, but whatever. Where are we going to do this? Here? You want to die here? Kettle asked, unsheathing Dragvendil, his magical sword, which is barely mentioned in the story. Oh, no, you're looking for my dad. He's, he's partying, Bodmod, son of Framar, said. They were so convinced that Kettle wasn't coming, they kicked off the Yule party and started planning the wedding. Well, sorry to say, but he's not marrying Hraffenhild, Kettle said. He actually wasn't sorry, but he really just wanted to kill Framar and get back home. Hey, do not apologize to me. I hate my dad. And I think it's gross that he's trying to force a woman young enough to be his daughter into marriage, Bodmod said. His dad was cruel and manipulative. He only cared about himself and his legacy and... Was Kettle crying? Kettle flicked a frozen tear away. No, but this kid sounded like he had it rough. It sounded like him. Kettle never got to be a father to his own son, though they reconnected in adulthood and it was good now, and he didn't want Bodmod to live in the toxic situation Kettle had grown up in. Bodmod seemed like a good kid. Would Bodmod join his household? It was time for Bodmod's tears to freeze at the idea that he would finally have the dad he always wanted. You're on his side? Framar called out to Bodmod, who was holding Kettle's shield. You are such a disappointment. I hope with my new wife, Odin grants me a better son. <laughs> then again, how could he not? Ha! <laughs> you believe in Odin? Kettle laughed. The Framar looked at him? Yes? Did Kettle not? <laughs> nope, Kettle said. Framar asked, what? why not? It was Odin. Like, they were, this was before Christianity up here. This was, Odin was the guy they all believed in. You'll see, Kettle said. Kettle leaned over to Bodmod. He was not worried about this at all. Classic mistake, trusting Odin. If Bodmod thought his dad was duplicitous and self-serving, 
Odin only trained up warriors, boosting their power and their confidence for one thing, to cut them down at the prime of their power. He only cares about Ragnarok, the end of the world, and building up his warriors to fight for him, holding them in Valhalla to the end of the world. That's why Kettle never worshipped Odin. Odin was the original tricky boy. Watch this. Kettle would always remember the look on Freymar's face when the iron of his sword bit into Freymar's shoulder, cutting him all the way to the hip. Freymar's last words were, and this is almost a direct quote, that Odin had broken faith with him. His hands gained nothing. Now he understood. <laughs> Told ya. Kettle laughed Bodmod. Bodmod and Hrafenhild got along extremely well. And a few days after Kettle and Bodmod returned, Hrafenhild came to him and told him that this, this was the man she wanted to marry. Kettle told her that he would make it happen. And he already did, because he liked Bodmod so much, he promised her to him on the way home. He did not mention that. So Kettle, for not believing in Odin and going his own way, eventually, ended up being one of the few Vikings to live a long, happy life on Earth and not end up in Valhalla, which I know is the Viking ideal, but I think after a few weeks, maybe a month tops, of non-stop feasting and fighting, I would personally be good. As modern as the story sounds in places, with Kettle's dad manipulating his son, and his son deciding that, when he became a father, not to put his child through all that, and staking his own life on the change, as modern as that sounds, it's all part of the original. I helped build up the connections and the story a bit, but it's all there. So was Kettle making fun of Freymar for trusting Odin, which I know we've joked about on this podcast and past shows, but while that's always been a trait for Odin, building up warriors to betray them in their time of need, that's basically the entire plot of the saga of the Volsungs, this is an extremely rare instance where a character in a saga has not only called that out, but used that to his advantage. Next week, it's two myths and a lie from Korean folklore. That will make sense when you hear it. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site and on Apple Podcasts. For less than the price of a smushed man doorstop, a doorstop that looks like a little man trying to crawl free from your door after you crushed his legs, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that don't look adorable but horrifying. Check out mythpodcast.com slash membership or find the show on Apple Podcasts for more info on the membership. The creature this time is the Nure Ona from Japanese folklore. So, water is dangerous. There are no shortage of creatures looking to drag you down and drown and eat you. This is the first example of ones I've found working together. So quickly, the Nura Ona apparently means the wet woman, which I guess also means that she's mostly snake, like heavy on the mostly. She's head and neck human, and then 327 meters, so almost a quarter mile, snake. If you see one and you don't correct course very quickly, you're already dead because her tail probably is secretly wrapped around your boat. You're probably thinking, okay, but she's in the water, I live on land, we're good. Well, imaginary person I'm talking to, do you care about babies? Because your unwillingness to chuck a baby into the ocean at the slightest hint of danger will be your undoing. 
You might be like, that's terrible. Well, that's the type of soft thinking that gets you eaten by an ox spider. Yeah, apparently, the Nuraiona will pose as mothers in need, begging through tears for people to take their baby on the shoreline. First, don't. But second, if you do see the mother's snake body slither into the sea, well, it's too late. It's not a baby, it's a rock. And it's stuck to your hands and pulling you into the sea to be eaten by another monster, the Ushioni, which is like if a spider also had an ox head and ate people, a scenario I know I've pondered in the past. We're not sure why they work together, but we do know that the only way out of the situation is to wear gloves when the strange snake woman asks you to hold her baby on the shoreline. Or, you know, as we talked about, don't do that to begin with. That's it for this time. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Music